Thank you, buddy. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to just go on record saying thank you for the privilege of being able to be here today. I have studied church growth for many, many years, and I've watched a lot of young pastors in order to try to grow a church literally compromise so many portions of scripture. But I want you to know something. I don't know any young man that I admire like I admire your pastor. And I mean that from the depths of my heart. God has grown a church here, and you guys have not compromised on one iota. Not one dot, one crossing of the T of the scripture. And uh, that's because God has given you a wonderful man of God to lead you. Amen? And uh, I'm honored to be able to be here. Now, I want to just take a moment, though, and say thank you to you as a congregation for what you're doing in church planting. You have been part of our Matilli Alliance now for many years. And right now we're training a thousand church planters. And uh, we could not do it without Temple Baptist. Please know that. We could not do it without Temple Baptist. And in the last nine years, because we've all worked together among the Maitili, that's a, 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 an unreached people group of 34 million people in Bihar, India, and southern Nepal. And uh, we've been able to start 4,433 churches and over 25,000 people. Now, when I say 25,000 people getting saved, they only count adults. But these people come from three major backgrounds, Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist. And they're, 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 they're militant. They'll kill you. Not the Buddhists, but the, the Muslims and the Hindus. So what God is doing, what's happening and what God is doing, blessing churches like yours and ours, is that he is pulling us together right now to make a difference. And I say thank you. I've got a minute and 58 second video I want you to watch. Just rejoice with me. Let's give God all the glory because God has done it. And guys, we've got a long way to go before we reach 34 million people. Amen. Watch it with me.
Amen, amen. Amen. To God be the glory, amen. Thank you, church, so very, very much. Today, I want to speak to you on the subject of being used of God. I don't know anything more enjoyable, more exciting, more that brings more satisfaction and fulfillment than being used of God. Amen? Amen. I mean, there's just something about knowing that God has used us, that God has used me. And what I want to do is I'm going to take you to three portions of Scripture today. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 8, the book of Acts chapter 9, and the book of Acts chapter 10. So we're going to work today, okay? Did you come to work? I know you're a Bible-believing church. You got your Bibles. We're going to go to work, okay? And I want to talk about being used of God. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look at three men, and we're going to look at three aspects that these men represent in their lives that have to happen in my life and your life if we're going to be used of God. So with that in mind, let's begin with the very first person. We find him in Acts chapter 8. It's a man by the name of Philip. Now in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse number 26, we're going to find Philip was willing to be available to God. Now, if you want to be used of God today, the first thing you have to be willing to do is to be available. Say it with me. Be available. Now, we know a little bit about Philip. He was one of the first uh, seven deacons in Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 4, when God began to scatter the Jerusalem church because they wouldn't do missions voluntarily, God scattered them. And you find in verse 1 and verse 4 that Philip goes down and he's in Samaria preaching the word of God. Now, Samaritans are half-breeds. They're half-Jew and they're half-Gentile. They're called dogs, half-breeds, because of the interracial marriage going on among them. (coughs) Stephen, excuse me, Philip goes to them. And the Bible says in verse 5 through 8 of uh, chapter 8, that great revival breaks out. I mean, it's phenomenal what God's doing. He goes down and and God's doing all kinds of miracles. People that are deaf are hearing. People that are blind are seeing. They're seeing the miracles of God. And many, many come and are healed and people are getting saved. And the Bible said in verse number 8 that there was great joy in that city. Then you go over to verse 14. And you get to verse 14, you find that there's such a revival breaking out that the Jerusalem church sends the big boys down. They they send Peter and and John down. And Peter and John begin to pray for people. They begin to, to receive the Holy Spirit. And God's doing great things. But then we pick it up in verse number 26. Philip, he's the guy that God has used to start this revival Now, God's going to call him to go down into the desert. Now, watch what happens in verse 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, and to the way that goeth down to Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Now, understand something. This is a big catch right here. 
And it says here that he's under the authority of of, uh, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all, he had the charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to his chariot. Now let's talk for just a moment. Here's a guy that God has used to start the revival down in Samaria. And God says to him, I want to move you. I want you up and I want you gone. And he said, where, where am I going? He said, you're going to go down to Gaza. It's a desert. Let me ask you something. How many people do you think you're going to meet down in the desert? Not very many at all. But you know, he obeys God. You see, God has a target down there. God has a man down there, an Ethiopian eunuch. And God, God is sending his man there. But his man has to be willing to be available. You see, here's our problem about being available to God. We want to choose what we're available for. I'll go do this, or I'll go do that. Let me tell you something. When you're willing to do anything God asks you to do, you're now getting to the place where God can really use you. Listen to what the Bible says, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Let me tell you, if you're willing to make yourself available to God, I'm going to tell you right now, God's going to wrap his power around you. God's going to wrap his arms around you, and he's going to do some great things. Now, watch the second thing. Not only is he inclined to the call of the Spirit, but he's instant to the command of the Spirit. Go back now to verse 29. Now, the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Now, let me just stop and help you understand something right here. How many of you believe a man of this authority, a man with this power, would be traveling through the desert by himself? If you believe that, we have some swamp land to sell you. (laughs) Historians tell us that probably there's at least a hundred soldiers around this guy and he's traveling and they're in front of him they're behind him and they're by the side of him and the spirit said to to Philip I want you to go and join yourself and you know what that nut does he takes off running now I want you to get the picture in your mind President Trump is going down Main Street of Coleman there's a big parade there's all of these Secret service people in front of him, behind him, beside of him. And you decide, I'm going to run up to him. What's about to happen to you? You say, well, that was crazy. Let me tell you something about obeying God. You see, our job is to obey him. His job is to make everything work out. It's not my job to try to figure it out. My job is just to be available. I'll never forget as a young preacher, I read the story of a, of a great missionary to the lumberjacks out west. His name was Stephen Grellick. One day, God led Stephen Grellick to go to a certain camp to preach. He gets to that camp. When he gets there, nobody's there. I mean, nobody's there. 
Stephen Grellick said he, to the Lord, he said, Now, Lord, I know you've told me to come here and preach. Nobody's here. He went into the dining hall and he preached. Nobody was there. After he got through preaching, he gave the invitation. Nobody was there. After he gave the invitation, he prayed for anybody that wanted to receive Christ. Nobody was there. He closed his Bible, walked away and said, God, I don't understand it. But I learned a long time ago, if I'll do what you've asked me to do, everything belongs to you. Years later, Stephen Grellick had a man come to him. And he said, are you Stephen Grellick? And he said, yes. He said, well, you don't know me. But he said, I was the foreman at such and such camp in the Rockies. He said, you came to our camp one day to, and you were there preaching and nobody was there. Stephen Grellick said, yeah, I remember that. He said, let me tell you what happened. He said, we had an emergency and everybody had to run for the emergency. He said, we forgot some equipment. So I came back to get the equipment. He said, when I came back to get the equipment, you were in the dining hall preaching, and I didn't want to bother you, so I just stood and listened. He said, when you give the invitation and prayed, I bowed my head and asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and into my life and become my Savior. And he said, I want you to know I went back. I won four more of those guys that were lumberjacks to Christ, and all five of us are preaching in the Rockies to lumberjacks. You see, my job and your job is to be available. It's God's job to make it work. You know what Paul said in Colossians chapter 4? He said, pray for me that God would open a door that I can preach. In other words, when God opens it, walk through it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, a great door is open. But with the door, there's many adversaries. But you see, my job and your job is not to worry about the adversaries. My job and your job is to walk through the door. When I first felt the call to preach, I preached anywhere they'd let me preach. I remember preaching in the nursing home, and they, they were all in bed, so they got us at the end of the hallway. No microphones, nothing like that, but we were at the end of the hallway, and that hallway was longer than than the auditorium this way. And we'd stand at the end of that uh, hallway and scream as loud as we could and preach. And then we'd go into those, those rooms and pray with the people. I can't tell you how many times I've gone in there to pray and I know they couldn't hear. And they'd say, honey, that was such a good sermon. Such a good sermon. I went to Bible college, and they had a big sign. Anybody wants to preach every Sunday, sign up. Man, I went over there. I signed up. That big church across the street, I knew they wanted me preaching there every Sunday morning. I signed up. They contacted me. They said, are you ready to preach this Sunday? And I said, yes, I am. They said, we'll pick you up at 4 a.m., going to the rescue mission. And for years, I preached every Sunday morning in the rescue mission. And I led people to Christ who had uh, regurgitation all over them and, and smelled, and, and I realized they only came because that's the only way they could get coffee and donuts. But we preached. Every opportunity, we preached. You see, all God wants us to do is make ourselves available. 
Let me tell you one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 21. Paul says to Timothy, come before winter. Come before winter. Now watch me, watch me. Winter's coming. Did you hear what I said? You said, oh, preacher, the spring came this week. Winter's coming. Winter's coming in my life. Winter's coming in your life. How many of us today, listen, I could take these off and you could drop me in the middle of a nudist colony and I'd never see him. I'm blind. I'm blind. I bought a miracle ear and it didn't work. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? See, winter is coming. And if you're going to do something for God, make yourself available now to God. Don't, oh, I, boy, when we retire, you know what? How many people have I watched that retired and within 30 days they have some kind of disease? Next thing you know, they're in the hospital for a year, and the next thing you know, they're in heaven. If you're going to do something for God, make yourself available to God now. And if you'll make yourself available, God will wear you out for Him. Let me tell you something about that Ethiopian eunuch. Philip gets down there in verse 35 and he preaches to him Jesus. That's what changes every life. And this young man, I say young man, I don't know how old he was. But he goes back and the historians tell us that he carried the gospel to all of North Africa. Let me tell you something. When God asks you to do something that doesn't make sense, you better do it because God's got something big in mind that he don't have to tell you. You just need to say, aye, aye, sir, I'm here. Here we go. Let me give you the second person, Ananias. You find his story in Acts chapter 9. Ananias was willing to be expendable. Let me me explain what I mean by that word expendable. It means to be used up. It means to be sacrificed. Let me give you the background of Acts chapter 9. Paul, we know him as Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was one bad dude. He even said of himself that he persecuted the church as blasphemer. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to imprison Christians, kill Christians. That's what he'd been doing. And he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. You know the story. God saves him out on that road to Damascus. He's blind. They lead him by the hand into Damascus. Three days, he's, he's sitting in the house, blind, doesn't eat, doesn't have anything to drink for three days. Then we pick up our text as we look at Ananias. Look at verse number 10, 9 and verse number 10. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now, watch this thing. God gives him the orders right here. He receives the orders from God. Now, Ananias is one of those unknown believers. He's one of those believers in Scripture we never hear anything else about again. This is it. What we're going to read right now is all we're going to hear about him. But let me tell you something. (coughs) At the judgment seat of Christ, every time the Apostle Paul 
tears out a coupon for the service that he did for God, Ananias is going to be able to punch it with him. Because he was willing to obey God. And he was willing to be expendable. Now let me ask you something. How about if God asks you to go witness to a guy that is just coming to town to kill you? And not only did he have in mind to kill you or to put you in prison, he had the authority to do it. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to talk to him. And you know what I think so neat as I begin to read this? God had everybody's address. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad God knows? He knows who I am. He knows where I am. (coughs) He knows who you are and he knows where you are as well. In verse 10 he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. This man was ready. Now he missed something. I really think that Ananias missed verse 11 because God told Ananias, Behold, he prayeth. Let me tell you something. Something was happening to old Saul of Tarsus that had never happened to him before. Then we find in verse 13 and 14, there's an objection that he brings. Now watch it in verse 13 and 14. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Isn't it, isn't it neat that Ananias seems to think God doesn't even know what's going on? I mean, God just got through telling him exactly where Saul was. Amen? Am, am I right or am I wrong? Now, this guy said, but now, 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 God, do you know who this guy is? Do you know who he is? You know, I can imagine God wanted to say, do you know who I am? You see, the key is if God's on our side, that's really all we need. Now, I love how God handles this. Watch how God, and God is such a patient God. By the way, if God wasn't a patient God, there wouldn't be any of us in this room today. He'd already killed every one of us. Somebody say amen right there. Even a Pharisee knows that. Now, watch what happens here. Watch what God does. I mean, the objection is raised in verse 13 and 14, but watch what God does. Picking it up in verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. God didn't even take time to fool with that kind of talk. God just said, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he will suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hand on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mayest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, this young man said, Ananias said, Okay, Lord, I'll go. And when he goes, you know what God does? God takes care of him. Listen to me for a moment. The whole idea is dying to ourselves. You're never going to be used of God until you're willing to die of yourself. Are you aware of that? How many of you are aware that it's not all about you? Say it with me. It's not all about me. But we live like it's all about us. We get mad about things like it's all about us. Isn't that right? I had somebody ask me years ago, said, well, as a pastor, Decatur Baptist Church, I'm sure you get things done the way you want them. 
I looked at him and said, let me tell you something about Decatur Baptist Church. There's all kinds of things that go on at Decatur Baptist Church I don't like. I don't like it. They said, what do you mean you don't like it? You're the pastor. I said, you, you know what? I'm just one among many. It's not all about me. Are you with me? Are we getting people saved? Are lives being changed? Are we taking the gospel to the world? If we're getting that done and we're reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, it's not about us. It's all about God. Let me tell you, when you're willing to die to yourself, it's incredible what God does. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have heard of an evangelist by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman? He was an evangelist in the early 1900s. How many of you have heard of him? J. Wilbur Chapman, raise your hand real high if you've ever heard of him. Okay, two people back here. All right, good, good. J. Wilbur Chapman. In the early part of the 19th, 1900s, he was a, a, a citywide evangelist. He'd go into a city and he'd meet with all the dignitaries and then they would, they would, they would set up a, a tent. They'd put, up the, they'd put the sawdust down the, the aisles and they would set it up and, and they'd have citywide revivals. A young man who was a professional baseball player got saved. God got a hold of his heart and he joined J. Wilbur Chapman's team. Now this young man was, <clears throat> was very famous as a baseball player. But he went to work for J. Wilbur Chapman. You know what he did? He put tent pegs in the ground. He put tent poles up. He put sawdust down the aisles. He set up uh, old, old wooden chairs. That's what he did. He didn't meet with any dignitaries. Nobody asked him what he thought about anything. They just told him what to go do. Oh, I forgot to tell you who he was. I bet some of you have heard of him. His name was Billy Sunday. How many of you have heard of the great Billy Sunday all over this house? Let me tell you something. When we will die to ourselves, it is incredible what God in heaven will do. Somebody say amen right there. You see, we've got to be willing to be adaptable. And that's the next person I want you to see, and that's Simon Peter. In Acts chapter 10, he was willing to be adaptable. Adaptable. Now let's look at Acts chapter 10 together. We're going to pick it up about verse number 9. I've got a new Bible, and you know, you get a new Bible, that thing sort of sticks together. But I've been preaching now for five weeks with a cough drop in my mouth, and so they're really sticking together now, okay? <laughs> You'll get that in a minute. <laughs> Acts chapter 10. As we look at the life of Simon Peter, let me give you a little bit of background. We find in verse 5 and 6 of Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius, he's a Gentile. He's praying and he wants to know how to go to heaven. And God tells him to, to send for one named Peter. He's in Joppa with the house of Simon the Tanner over by the sea. Again, isn't it incredible how God knows everybody's address? Now you say, why in the world is, 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 is God sending that Gentile to Simon Peter? Well, let me give you doctrinally why. Jesus said to Simon, he said, Simon, I'm giving to you the keys to the kingdom. 
He had those keys for the purpose of unlocking something. But he was a good Jewish man. Being a good Jewish man, he didn't have anything to do with Gentiles. But he had the key to unlock to the Gentiles. So you know what God does? God has to get him ready. Now, if I'm going to be used of God, I've got to be willing to be available. I've got to be willing to to die to myself, be expendable. But then I have to be willing to be adaptable. There's some things in us that God has to change if we're going to be used of God. Just look over at somebody right now and say, there's some things that have to change in me if God's going to use me. Just look over. Tell somebody. (coughs) Now you say, not in me. Well, then let me tell you, whatever God's done with you in your life right now, it's all over. Start praying for heaven tonight. Because God is constantly working in us and making the changes in us for the stuff that God wants to do in us. Amen? Now, I'm in a transition right now. The church on the first day of January, the church voted, well, the church had already voted, and Pastor McKaig became the lead pastor of Decatur Baptist the first day of January 1970. Now, I've been the senior pastor, lead pastor, janitor, and everybody else for 33 years. Now, do you think God's not had to make some changes in me? Talk to me now. You know, they're not saying, well, Brother Doug, what do you think? They're saying, Pastor McKay, what do you think? You say, well, then how are you handling that? Well, let me tell you. I love my new job. I love my new pastor. And I love my new boss. Are you with me? You say, how in the world do you do it? God's making changes. God's making changes. Now, Pastor McCabe worked for me for 12 years as my student pastor. Then he pastored for 12 years. Now he's back and I'm working for him. You say, I don't think I could do that. Then you can't be used of God. Folks, do you realize if you can't follow, you can't lead? And there's a lot of people who've said they've been a leader. And when God puts them at the place where they've got to follow somebody, they can't follow. And all that tells you was all those years they thought they were a leader, they weren't a leader. Well, I don't know why I did that. That's not even in these notes. But I needed it, so that's good enough. He tells Cornelius, go send for Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter wouldn't have been who you'd have chosen. I wouldn't have chosen him. That guy's so stinking prejudiced. Good night of living. I mean, he needs to get right with God. But he goes for him. He sends for him. But God shapens him up. You find in verse number 9 through 16, and I'm not going to read it all, but you find how God just, God just absolutely shapes him up. I mean, he goes up on the housetop. He's hungry. It's the sixth hour. He goes to pray. He gets into a trance. God drops a sheet down, and in that sheet, there's all kinds of creeping animals and four-footed beasts and, and fowls of the air. And God said to him, Simon Peter, kill and eat. And all the good Jew in him came out. He said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything like that. And God said, let me tell you right now. If I tell you to eat it, open your mouth and start chewing. Now, I want you to know something. I know a lot of people don't realize this, but Simon Peter was a Baptist. 
And I, I can prove it in this text. I really can. Now, I'm not being, I'm, I, I know we're laughing, but I can prove it in this text. You say, well, how do you prove he's a Baptist in this text? It took God three times to get him to do what he's supposed to do. <laughs> Just read it. It's all there. And God gets a hold of him, and God changes his life. Look at something, though, that Simon Peter says in verse 14. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, I want you to see a contradiction here. You, there's no way you can use those three words together, not so, Lord. If he's Lord, you're not going to say not so. And if you're saying not so, he's not Lord. If he's Lord, you're saying yes, sir. Let me tell you right now, the last seven words of a dying church are simply these. We've never done it that way before. We've never <laughs> done it that way before. We've just never done it that way before. You know, I tell, I've told our people all these years, just because you've not been up under the house doesn't mean there's not something up under the house. Are you with me? And just because you've never done it doesn't mean it can't be done. And God's saying to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, it's now time that you become adaptable. And guys, let me tell you, there's some things we've got we to gotta let God change in our lives. There's some things we've got to kill. This is a true story. I love telling stories. I guess you've already figured that one out, haven't you? I love telling stories. I, I think I missed my calling. I should have been into storytelling. This is a true story. A couple got married, and boy, they wanted to have a house full of kids. You know how that is. And, but she couldn't get pregnant. They'd gone to the fertility doctors. They'd done everything. She just couldn't get pregnant. They'd checked him out. He was, he was good to go. She just couldn't get pregnant. It, was, it, it wasn't him. It wasn't her. It, just, it wasn't happening. So after about 32, 33 years old, they just turned their life into their businesses, and they were, they were prospering and going, and they'd given up all hope to get pregnant. And then one, one morning she got up throwing up, went to the doctor and found out she had a nine-month flu. But now she had already gotten in toward the mid and late 30s, which was dangerous if you've never had a child. So they were very, very careful in everything they did, and they were so excited now they were going to have a child, and they had a little boy. Their last name was Flat, F-L-A-T. They had a little boy, and they named him Chairman. Little Chairman being the only child and the only one they were ever, ever, ever able to have after that as well. Little chairman got everything he wanted. I mean, anything he wanted, little chairman got. They went to the dime store, and this tells you how old the story is and how old some of us are, but you could buy frogs back then in aquariums in a dime store. And They went down to that dime store, and they bought an aquarium, uh, bought a frog, named him Old Joe. But now chairman, being chairman, and the only child they had, and they'd been very, very successful in business, so they didn't just buy old Joe, they, they bought the best aquarium you could get. I mean, they had fountains in there, they had lily pads in there, they had rocks, everything you could think of was in, in, in that aquarium. And he took old Joe home, and old Joe was his best buddy. I'm telling you, it, sitting in the room every day, he was just his best buddy. And about two years or so into it, old Joe, he just wasn't hopping around like normal. Now, this is God's honest truth. They took that frog to the vet. 
Hey, when you have that kid late in life and money's no issue, trust me, you take that frog to the vet. <laughs> they go down, the vet, the vet examines that frog. He asked where they got it. They told where they got it, and he gave the bad news to the dad and the mom and said, old Joe's going to die. I mean, he's only going to live so long, and he's going to die. Well, they broke the news to chairman that he's going to die, and the little boy went into depression. They didn't think much about it, but the first day he wouldn't eat or drink anything. Now, again, they, they got alarmed after the first day, and the second day he still was in depression. He, oh, Joe's going to die. And the mom and dad said, we've got to do something. I mean, this is our boy. We've got to do something. So the dad thought about it, and he went in, and he sat down on the bed beside chairman. He said, Chairman, old Joe's going to die. He said, yeah, he's going to die. Dad, he's going to die. He said, let me tell you what we're going to do when old Joe dies. He said, when old Joe dies, we're going to have the biggest parade in his honor. We're going to invite every kid in the neighborhood to come and be a part of the parade. We're going to have Coca-Cola ice cream cookie. We're going to have hats. We're going to have whistles. And when old Joe dies, we're going to have that party in that parade. What do you think about that, chairman? The little boy's eyes lit up about like that. And he said, Daddy, let's kill him now. <laughs> And do you know there's many of us right here today that if we let the Holy Spirit of God come into our life and change whatever needed to be changed and kill whatever needs to be killed, we could be used of God. Amen? So how do we get used of God? Let's look at it and we're done. We're used of God because we make ourselves available. We're used of God because we're expendable. We're, Lord, we die to ourselves. So we can be used of you. And we get used of God because we're adaptable. God, you can change. You can fix anything in my life. God, I'm willing to do it. In John chapter 12, and I, I really want to give you this story and close. In John, in John chapter 21, not 12, I'm sorry. In John 21, verse 15, 16, and 17. Simon Peter, you know, our Lord had died. Simon Peter was backslidden. I mean, when our Lord died, Peter said, I go fishing. Are you with me? He'd been out fishing. You know what all had happened. And our Lord is, <clears throat> is there on the, on the bank. And Simon Peter sees him there. And he knows it's the Lord. And he jumps in the water and he walks to him. And by the way, I've been right at that very spot. And I'm telling you, it's a moving place. It's a moving experience to know you're standing right where Jesus was cooking that breakfast. And where Simon Peter had the greatest understanding of what it means to be motivated correctly in serving God. The Lord says to Simon Peter, here's what he said. He said, Simon, do you love me? Now, I realize in the Greek language we've got three different kinds of love there. And I, let me just say this to you. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter which one of the loves. God just wants to know, do you love me? And he said to him, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. And then he said again, if you love me. And, of course, the last one's agape. But let me tell you, the motivation, if you want to be used of God, listen to me now, we make ourselves available. We die to ourselves. We make ourselves expendable. And we become adaptable to God. God can change anything, anywhere, anytime he wants to in our lives. We make ourselves adaptable. But let me tell you the right motive for that has to be because you love God. Are you listening to me? 
He said to Simon, Simon, do you love me more than these? You see, my motivation to do what I do has to be my love for God. I uh, just got through preaching a missions conference, and these young, young missionaries, they'll come in, and they're going somewhere, and they say, I just love those people. I'm going to Romania because I just love Romanians. I'm going to India because I just love Indians, you know. I'm, I'm going here because I just love people. When I hear that, I cringe because that's the wrong motivation. Are you going to love Romanians after they rob you and take everything you have? Are you going to love them after they rape your teenage daughter? Talk to me. Talk to me. If that's why you're going, you'll be home soon. But if you're going because you love God, you'll make it. Years ago, our kids were five and six. This had been a long, long time ago, about 38 years ago. And we had been in church that night, and we got home. I was racing with the kids to the front door. You know, I always could win because I could push them down and, and, and beat, beat them there. You say, well, I don't think you ought to do that. Well, they weren't your kids. And I got to the door, and I hit that door, and when I did, the door came open. Something went, I turned the light on. When I did, I could see the face of the door had been ripped off. We had a split foyer back in the mountains of Tennessee where we pastored, and you could look up the steps, and you could see the big sliding glass was open, and the, and the curtain was waving in the wind. They broke into our home that night. They got a lot of valuable things. But the greatest thing they stole that night was our kids' security. My kids, every night, would put them to bed. They'd say, are the bad people coming tonight? Because we were pastors, we were always on the road a lot at night and doing things. And we'd come home, and they were scared to death. Are the bad people going to be in the house tonight? And I began to pray, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And God said, buy a dog. Buy a dog. So I went out, and buy a big dog. So I went out, and if you know anything about me, I don't want to buy a great old big four or $500 dog. You understand that, right? And I go out, and I find a six-month-old boxer bulldog that they couldn't sell, okay? They hadn't even clipped his tail yet. And I bring him home. Now, he's a big thing. He, we almost wrecked the truck. I put him in the front seat of the truck. He's all over me trying to drive home in the truck. Dumbest dog I've ever met in my life. First day, I ran over his foot. I asked the lady I bought it from. She was smiling mirror to ear, and I bought that dog. And I asked the lady, and I bought the dog. I said, what do I feed him? She said, feed him puppy chow. So I go down the store, and I go to get a bag of puppy chow. Do you know what puppy chow costs? There was a 50-pound, that, that puppy chow was a five-pound bag. Down underneath it was a 50-pound bag of generic dog food for about a third of what the five-pound puppy chow was. So I got the generic dog food. You said, did he eat it? The fourth day he did. <laughs> but... God, you, you, I, I took my children and Katie and I and, and our kids and, and we prayed with them and we said, we're going to ask Jesus to use Rocky. Boxer, Bulldog, Rocky, you'll get it. We're going to ask Jesus to use Rocky to protect our home when we're away. 
and to protect our home at night when we sleep. And so we prayed with them, and we'd come in at night, and that old dog would be there wagging that tail, and my kids would say, Jesus is using Rocky to protect us. <laughs> we'd go to bed at night. They weren't afraid anymore because Rocky was outside protecting us. But he had a bad habit, running, chasing cars. The phone rang one day in the office, and my secretary, she said, Brother Ripley, you got to take this quick. Something bad's happened. I pick up the phone. Katie's screaming, and I can hear the babies crying in the background. I said, honey, what is it? What is it? She said, it's Rocky. The truck's hit him. These brains are coming out. I can hear my kids crying. Now, I'm a country boy, okay, and didn't have money for a vet bill. I wasn't part of the Platt family. <laughs> I come home, and I realize the brains aren't coming out, but he's got a bad gash on his head. He has a concussion, and all night long, I kept that dog away. I wouldn't let him go to sleep. All night long, I kept that dog awake, knowing that if I could get through the night, he'd live. And we made it through the night. Now listen to me, and I'm done. I didn't keep that dog awake all night. And I didn't stay up all night because I loved that dog. I still thought that was the dumbest dog I've ever seen in my life. I did what I did because I loved those kids that loved that dog. And let me tell you something. I've had the privilege of being Decatur Baptist Church's pastor for 33 years. But I'm not their pastor because I love them. I'm their pastor because I love God and God loves them. And we've had a part of doing missions all over the world. But not because we love people all over the world. But we love God who loves people all over the world. And when we love God and loving God is the reason we do what we do. Then we'll do it till Jesus comes. Bow your heads with me, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of you right now could say, Preacher, I'm saved. I know if I died, I'd go to heaven. There's no doubt about it. I'm saved and I know it. Now, don't raise your hand yet. But you're here and you'd say, Preacher, I'm saved and I know if I died, I'd go to heaven. And Preacher, as you close this prayer, I want you to pray for me this morning. Pray for me that I will be used of God, that I'll be available, that I'll be expendable, that I'll be adaptable. Pray for me. You're a child of God today, and you really want to be used of God. Would you raise your hand right now so I can pray for you all over this house? If you want to be used of God, raise it high. Raise it high. I'm going to wait. Raise it high. Raise it high. So I'm already used to God. Do you want to be used a little more? Raise it high. Raise it high. God bless you. God bless you. Father God, in the name of Jesus. Every hand that's been raised, every heart that you've touched today, I say thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, every man, every woman, every young person, we raised our hand today because, God, we want to be used of you more than we want life in our bodies. Lord, if you're not going to use us, we want to go on to heaven. But, Lord, while you have us on this earth, we want to be used of you. So, God, we're available. God, use us. Open the doors. We'll walk through them and we'll not choose the doors. And God, we're willing today to, to die to ourselves so we can do whatever you ask us to do. And God, whatever you need to change in our lives, change us, Lord. Change us. Now, before I close my prayer, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And Before I close my prayer, I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wonder how many of you here today would say, Brother Ripley, I didn't raise my hand a moment ago. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven, but oh, I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you just raise your hand up, raise it up real high and take it right back down. God bless you. I see your hands. Thank you. Just now you're going to have to give me a moment so I can look.
Anyone else? Brother Ripley, I don't know. God bless you. You may take them down. Thank you. Anyone else? Brother Ripley, I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven, but I want to go to heaven when I die. Anyone else on the main floor? Would you just slip it up? Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody will come to you. Just want to pray for you. Just slip it up high, would you? I'm not certain, but I want to be certain. Thank you. How about in the balconies? Anyone in the balcony, just slip it up high so I can see you. I'm going to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you so very much. God bless you. Anyone else, just slip it up. Now I wonder with our heads bowed. God bless you, ma'am. I see you. I wonder now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed before I pray my prayer. I wonder how many of you would say, Brother Ripley, I've been saved. There's no doubt about it. I've been saved. But Brother Ripley, I'm backslidden on God. I've gotten away from God. I've made a mess out of things. Brother Ripley, I need to come home. I need to come home. I need to get things right with God. I need to rededicate my life to God today. Pray for me. Anyone like that on the main floor, just raise your hand right now. Raise it. God bless you and God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you and you. God bless you. Just raise them. Let me pray for you. God bless you, son. Oh, God bless you. That takes so much courage. Anyone else on the main floor, just raise your hand. Raise your hand. How about in the balcony? Just raise your hand. Let me, let me, God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Just raise it. I'm away from God and I need to come home. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, as I close my prayer. Lord, I pray for these. Lord, that need to be saved today and these that need to rededicate their life to you today. God, in Jesus' name, give them courage to say yes to you. Give them courage to say, I've run and I'm not going to run anymore. If I run, I'm going to run to Jesus. I'm not running from him anymore. God, give them courage to respond today. All over this house, Spirit of the living God, give them courage. I do pray. Now our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed. Would everyone stand to their feet, please? Just stand to your feet quietly. Saints of God are praying. Stand to your feet quietly. Saints of God are praying. Those of you that raised your hands, look up at me. I know who you are, but look up at me, would you? Thank you. Just look up at me. That's it. Up in the balcony, look up at me. That's it. God bless you, ma'am. Look up at me. Son, look up at me, would you? Look up at me. You raised your hand. Thank you, son. Look up at me now. Here's what I want to ask you to do. This church... This church has people that are trained that can pray with you. They love you. They care about you. They'll never embarrass you, but they want to help you. And here's what I want to ask you right now. Before we ever start singing, those of you, you raised your hand. We prayed for you. God, the Holy Spirit, he's knocking at your heart's door. Would you just step out and come right on? 